Welcome to Montana Classical College. Today we're going to be doing a special event. We're going to be talking about Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Uh, I have a special guest with me today. Uh, I have Mrs. MCC with me. Mrs. Hello. MCC, how are you? I am doing quite well. How are you doing? Oh, splendid. It's always a joy to talk about good things <laughs> with good people. I'm, I'm happy to be here literally right next to you at the table, which does not usually happen with these interviews. So. That's right. Usually uh, people are not in studio. Yeah. <laughs> and this time they are in studio. Yes. So this is a change of pace. Um, now, one thing that makes this uh, a little bit different is that we'll be talking about Camille Paglia's commentary on Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Um, why do you think it is important to read uh, Pallia's commentary with the movie. Yeah, I think Pallia does something that a lot of people don't do with movies, which is essentially um, closely look at it, right? We talk so much about closely reading, but she does such a great job of looking at the nuances, the colors, the timing, what is there, what is not there, what words were chosen, things on people, you know, the, the expressions on people's faces. And I think it's just a fantastic way to approach looking at film, especially film created by such a, a genius filmmaker such as, as Alfred Hitchcock. Um, her book is just is uh, goes through scene by scene with nuance. And so we don't fully rely on it, but we did read it and it has definitely inspired many of the insights that we'll be talking about today. Right. So thematically, we're going to be talking about the way that mm, attempts to explain things through a kind of like folk contemporary natural science are used in the movie as well as the hope for the law to be able to deal with the breakdown of things that are going on and then those, those are the two themes that i focus the most on but what are the themes that you're focusing the most on yeah i really want to focus on the role of nature and women in the birds and the ways in which they become sort of collapsed into each other the way birds and women become sort of unified or parallel or reflective, but then also the way that women hold this role as wife, mother, daughter, and educator in the film, and the ways in which on one hand that gives shaping and formation to the situations around them and also how those roles collapse in on each other very much, how the female roles seem to collapse in on each other and break down order and structure. Right. So that that already sort of points to the way in which we'll talk about the bird's on one hand, as a real phenomena in the movie, that all the characters have to deal with this thing that's happening. And yet, it seems like Pallia and Hitchcock suggest to us that there's also a way to think about the movie on a metaphorical level, with the birds not just being an external phenomena, but also representing something interior to human beings, or maybe especially women. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the great geniuses of Hitchcock, is he always keeps you thinking by not giving you a firm conclusion. And We'll, we'll definitely get to that when we get to the concluding scenes of the film itself. Okay, good. So uh, the way that we want to organize the whole conversation is by looking at the movie in terms of the five days that happen um, over the course of the movie. So 
um, on day one, that's where we sort of see Melanie and Mitch meet in the bird shop, and we see many of the core themes of the movie sort of show themselves. We're going to take an especially close look at that scene. Um, now, day two, Melanie goes to Bodega Bay to drop off some lovebirds at uh, Mitch's house. Melanie, Melanie's hit by a gull, so we start to see the birds intrude on the movie, and a bird ends up crashing into Annie Hayworth's door. This woman who used to be with Mitch and has gone to live in Bodega Bay, pining after him. We'll talk a lot more about that later. Um, so she stays, Annie, or sorry, Melanie stays with Annie um, and is persuaded by Mitch to stay for another day. This was the first two days. On the third day, Melanie um, attends this party and she and Mitch seem much closer. Birds attack the children as Melanie and Mitch walk back to the party in view of Mitch's mother, Lydia, and Annie. The birds also penetrate into the interior of the house coming in through the chimney. Um, Melanie ends up staying the night at the Brenner's house. Now, day four is the most action-packed day by far, so it may not make sense to say too much about that now, but just to mention that Lydia visits another man in town who'd been sold what she thought was bad chicken feed and finds that he's been killed by the birds. The birds attack a schoolhouse of children as Melanie goes to pick up uh, Mitch's sister, Kathy. And we see the birds attack the Bodega Bay center of, ta of town. Annie winds up dead, and the birds end up attacking the fortified Brenner house, and at least that night are successfully rebuffed. The fifth day, uh, we see in the morning after that attack, when Melanie goes up in the early hours of the morning to investigate a sound, and she's nearly destroyed by the birds as she goes upstairs. Mitch gets her out of there, and they manage to drive away from the house. So that's just a kind of brief summary of the five days. So we'll kind of make clear demarcations between each day in the movie as we go through. So let's talk about day one, or do you want to say a little bit about the structure of the movie you're talking Oh, I was actually going to say something about the interesting nature of the beginning of the film and some interesting components of the film in general. Sure. Um, so, right, it begins, and this is something that Pallia definitely notes, uh, that it begins this black silhouette of the birds against this blue background. Um, and these white names appear, but they are torn apart by the birds. And I think this is a really brilliant way that Hitchcock sets up the film to show this order and structure and identity of the names being torn apart immediately by the birds and collapse, being collapsed by nature. Um, also, it's important to note, and we'll talk about this, uh, you know, throughout that there is no, there's, there are only two songs throughout the entire movie, uh, but the opening credits are devoid of music. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that when we get to the songs. But if you want to say a few things about that. Oh yeah, that, that's right. So there's no background soundtrack. Yeah. All the music that happens within the movie is internal to the story itself. So the characters can hear or are making the music rather than it being some sort of, uh, I don't know, weird expression of what the viewer is supposed to be imagining. It might mm -hmm. feel like to be that character. Mm -hmm.
All right, so that seems good by way of introduction. How about you walk us through the beginning of the beginning? So we see Melanie in the first shot walking down the streets of San Francisco. In the background, the birds are amassing. We also see this beautiful uh, silhouette of a, of a sculpture uh, that's elevated. Uh, and she's looking up at the sky. And as she's looking up at the sky, a man whistles at her. And she smiles, this wonderful smile, and continues to walk into the bird shop. But what I think is so brilliant about this scene is that it tells us so much of what Hitchcock wants to say about the interaction, or at least the power of women, right? She gets this man to say, to, to give an instinctive, nonverbal expression of attraction that mimics a bird call. And she's so pleased by this, right? It's past logos. And at this, it's also interesting, she walks in and up the stairs, and she's met with an an older postmenopausal woman who is completely impervious to her charm and in mm -hmm. fact denies Melanie's will at many a turn. Um, I think you have some comments on on her arguments too, because Melanie then asks her, what did she take, what does she think of the birds that are amassing outside? Yeah, right. So near the beginning of the movie, a comment is made about how many birds can be seen flying around the San Francisco skyline. The owner of the bird shop, as you're pointing out, uh, says to our protagonist, Melanie Daniels, quote, there must be a storm at sea. This is the first of many attempts in the movie to understand the birds and their strange behavior through popular scientific answers. One problem of contemporary popular science is that it bequeaths an unearned confidence to its adherents or its listeners. The average person takes it for granted that the world is entirely disenchanted, and that in principle, everything has a ready explanation. If I don't know the answer, I can still be sure that a scientist does, and that the world is uh, more or less well-ordered. And so, rather than examining or really inquiring into what something is, we help ourselves to a ready cabinet of stock explanations. The shopkeeper didn't look outside to see if there was a storm. She heard of an effect and then she lazily selected a potential cause. This lets us put our mind at ease when we do something like this. We don't have to do any more looking, and we can rest assured that there are no irregularities in the ordinary patterns of nature. We often don't look into something until it imposes itself on our life in a way that creates obstacles to our goals. The birds have not yet imposed themselves in the lives of the characters, and so they feel no real need to inquire. Yeah, so next, as it happens, um, we see the interaction after Melanie is denied the bird that she uh, wants, that she desires. At least in the time frame. In the time wants. frame. Oh, and this is actually a very important thing to note. So in this exact moment, she is buying a minor bird for her aunt, who we later learn in a future scene is very prim and pop proper, so really follows the law. And she wants to teach this minor bird some uh, uh, naughty words to, uh, to to tease her aunt or to kind of torture her aunt. And I think the interesting thing about this is that it makes this thing that is ostensibly a gift into also a kind of weapon. The exact thing that Melanie is trying to do with the lovebirds that she wants to buy uh, for Mitch. This goes to this idea of right, breaking out this order and structure with these kinds of games, which we will talk about throughout. Right, right. So Mitch says that he wants to buy his sister Kathy some lovebirds. Mm -hmm. And so that's how Melanie ends up going to Bodega Bay, is to bring these lovebirds as a kind of prank to play on Mitch. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And so 
Um, we eventually learn through later in the movie that Mitch Brenner is a lawyer. Uh, in the opening scene, he knows who Melanie is, but she doesn't know who he is. He treats her as if she works at the bird store, and she's happy to play along. He quickly, though, compels her to reveal her ignorance about birds, and then lets her know that she ought to have gone to jail for whatever practical jokes she had pulled earlier in her well, in not so or, or rather recent life. Uh, he comes off on the side of the law, and his stodgy moralism is somewhat tolerable only because he plays a practical joke on Melanie by pretending to be a customer buying from her. Um, at the same time that he takes rakes her under the coals for doing so. And we see throughout the movie in a way that Mitch, he's, we'll talk about this later, I suppose, but he's the kind of lawyer who defends those who are farthest away from his own. That is to say, people who kill their wives for changing the channel. Whereas we see, you know, women in the movie fiercely loving and defending their own. There's a way in which Mitch is so interested in the law, this thing that's sort of outside the household, that he spends his time defending those who are farthest away from him. Um, yeah, that's a really good point, right? She says that he just wants to persecute violators and practical jokers, and those mm -hmm. two seem two things seem very different. Um, but in a way, both of those do undermine the law, right? One of the reasons a practical joke is so fun is because you've now taken this order and structure and and destroyed it um, or, or made it seem ridiculous in a way. An also interesting thing to point out here too is that the the crime he is the crime the moment he met her was that persecution of a crime where she broke a window. And so this is one of those moments we were, we were referencing earlier where Hitchcock sort of blends together women and the birds since notorious you know throughout the entire movie we'll see the big issue is the birds breaking down the windows and melanie's big crime herself as mitch points out is that she broke a window through a practical joke the one last point about this scene worth mentioning uh well there's a lot but the one last point we want to bring up is that she, after her and mitch separate you know he goes they go their separate ways she wants to know who he is and she runs out and gets his license plate number. So also reducing him to a number. And she calls her father's office, who we learn later he works for a newspaper. And through great flirtation and this kind of stroking of the, uh, the phone cord, she is able to get this man to do a great favor for her on the other end uh, with just her sort of feminine charm. It is interesting to note that she does not get access to her father at this time and that she never gets her own father to do a favor for her. So there's this interesting familial layer there as well. And so day one of the movie ends. Mm -hmm.